0: Hello, Tyler. Alright, Johnny. You like you too, don't you? Yeah, big time. Then you might like The Invisible Band by Travis.
1: So, as the strains of Sing Die Away. We're here again with another episode of Review 2's Then You Might Like. This time, it's The Invisible Band by Travis. This is an album that Johnny actually chose this week. Mm -hmm. So Johnny's going to educate me because even before the last seven days, um, although I owned Invisible Band, I I feel like this is a band that I'm discovering for the first time in a lot of ways. And then Mm. I'm going through watching various live shows and I'm, finding songs that I'd completely forgotten about, yeah. but were huge hits at the time, both yeah. before and after this album. Well, they've sort of become
0: a little bit like the Invisible Band, if that's not too sort of cliche, because I think they have dropped out the public consciousness. And I think a lot of people might think, Travis, that's a weird choice to do on this. That surely there's bigger names to do. But at the time, it's hard to understate that Travis were a enormous band. And I think this follows on really well... I'm talking about 2000-ish. It falls on really well from the Coldplay episode, our first one, Parachutes. Because Coldplay sort of snuck in and usurped Travis. Um, they got a quote from, uh, from Matt Collar, and he basically says that next to Coldplay, no other band was as successful in disseminating post-Britpop in the early 2000s as this Scottish four-piece. So after... After Coldplay, Travis were pretty much the biggest thing, you know, at that particular time. They had a huge popularity that stretched across a lot of different groups. Um, so, the U2 connection, let's just get the U2 connections over
1: with first, okay?
0: I'm interested about this as right, well. Right, okay, so first one guess who produced uh, Good Feeling, Travis's first proper studio album?
1: Um... Steve white Yeah,
0: it was indeed Silly White. Old um, Silly White himself? Old Silly White, yeah. Um, Did
1: you do that in KFC? Or?
0: No, I don't think he was... Uh, I think it was before he started selling CDs out the back
1: of his car. Short side note, have you listened to Good Feeling, the band's first album? Uh, no, uh, but I wanted to go back, and I wanted, I wanted to listen to a lot of the previous albums, hmm. but just so that I could focus on this, I'll... I, I've You're just it. I've just listened to this, you know. Apart from another couple of songs and songs they've played on, like I watched Glastonbury from two thousand. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, and that was that was a really enjoyable set mm. with songs I I both knew and had forgotten about, but also songs I didn't know. Yeah. But solely this week, I have listened to this album. A lot. Brilliant. That's, that's really good to
0: hear. And we'll come back to that lasting performance at some point. Um, so good feeling, if anyone takes the trouble to look it up, is a it's a pretty straightforward rock album. They've got a song called All I Wanna Do Is Rock on There. Yeah. Very good live. I've seen Travis Live and um they were surprisingly rocky live. They were I think people think of them, particularly from this album, as very mild, very possibly middle of the road. Um but uh, Andy Dunlop, the guitarist, was an absolute hero. Like climbed right to the top of an enormous stack of martial amps and then jumped off. I thought he's not going to jump off, and he, and he did. His knees are going to not thank him in his in his old age. Anyway, yeah. So good feeling, quite rocky. Then Travis really came to prominence with um, the Man Who, which was produced by Nigel Godrich. He's worked with uh, Radiohead; is his main sort of pe- pe- uh, sort of sound that people would would recognise. And he also produced today's album under review, The Invisible Band. You two though. Bono, actually, weirdly covered, as a snippet version, it has to be said, but sort of covered, why does it always rain on me on the Elevation Tour? So in Glasgow, as you know what Bono's like, every time he, he ends up in a particular place, like he, he mentions the local thing, you know... Or You're like, not going to tell me he was pandering to the local audience, was he? Quite possibly, yes. If we were being cynical, that's what we might say. Um, but get this, it was in the middle of discotech Listen to this, imagine being at the Elevation Tour in 2001 in Glasgow, which is a great place, okay, and you've got discotheque, Snippeted, promise you a miracle, and why does it always rain on me, and staring at the sun, all snippeted within discotay.
1: That I, That's weird. Um, I'd I, love to see I that. Think, I think um, why does it always rain on me would be good at the end of With or Without You if it was raining. You know, like, yeah, he does the stars one and all the others. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm completely not engaging with you two at the minute. I'm, I, I had such yeah. a crazy year last year. Um, you know, I, I've, I've, this year so far I haven't listened to you 2 so I'm kind of out of the, the rhythm. It's nice
0: to take a break though isn't it because it was so yeah. intense. Fun fact in recent U2 Nuge uh, Nuge? Nuge? Nuge N- um... Nude Bono again
1: <laughs> Yes!
0: How your mind works is strange to me um, Anyway, speaking of strange minds uh, Edge has just sculpted a, a zebra He's created a sculpture of a zebra Is it wearing a hat? I can show you if you want. I mean this would be Difficult visually, um, but yeah. Uh, so if you go on in Dublin Live. Um, dot I, E. Um, Dublin Live. I'm never off Dublin Live. Well, you should be on it for this. U2's The Edge has crafted a huge zebra sculpture for charity, and it's pretty impressive. <laughs> so uh, yeah, very nice. You can have a look at it if you want. That's just lots of adverts for shoes. Oh, I hate the internet. Whatever. Anyway, go and look at it if you're interested. I still haven't seen the zebra. <laughs> well, it's not very interesting for the fans, is it? I don't know why it's not showing up. It's just showing pictures of shoes. It does exist. Yeah, well, you keep talking. I'll
1: dig. De- I'll dig de- it up on on my own internet. <sighs> well, that's that's not very engaging.
0: All right. Well, anyway, I've got a long quote to read out anyway. So, Scottish Group Travis believe they may become as big as you two. The group's frontman Fran Healy told a newspaper interview. So this was in an interview we did in the Sun. Okay, quite a long time ago, around about the two thousands, very very early two thousands. Have you seen the Zebra now?
1: I've seen the Zebra. Yeah. yeah
0: thoughts yeah shouldn't have brought it up i just i just, <laughs>
1: I just had to question why
0: for charity this obviously. is why
1: albums don't get completed on time
0: well yeah that's that, that does annoy me actually thinking about it anyway right so fran healy was asked in an interview and he said do you think we can be, be as big as you two? it would be rude not to he told the sun it's about longevity and staying together through the madness you two are a great example of a band who've gone on for more than 20 years written good songs and kept their integrity good songs, could have bigged that up a bit, excellent songs. Um, They are a great role model. They're doing well, and that's refreshing, because they can still move people and write great songs in an incredibly ageist industry. So, slight dig there at Bono and the boys for being a bit older. This was in 2000, around about. Um, Travis, Travis, whose moody guitar uh, lace ballads won them Won them Band and Album of the Year at last year's Brit Awards, are releasing their third album, *The Invisible Band*. So that's that's the U2 connections I could find. There might be ones that are more clear.
1: That interests me because just doing some research, I did find an interview um, from Travis, and I can't remember which interview it was, and that's quite bad form because you, could, you should always cite your sources. But um, in the interview from '99, they were saying how they they just started to make a name for themselves in in America. Um, when they'd been quite big in the UK, yeah. Already. Weirdly,
0: they did quite well in America, um, which is odd for eventually, a British band. Eventually,
1: yeah. Eventually, they'd been going a long time before they actually got there. Mm, but just to make any headway is pretty impressive. But sorry, go on. But they were they were doing a tour, playing to about two, three thousand people a night, which in in our terms is pretty. You know, that's that's pretty low key. When when well, you can more than we've it, ever played. But well, when you compare it to Coldplay or U two or some of the other you know bands we'll be talking yeah. about. That's that's pretty lucky, and they were just about to play the largest crowd ever of four thousand people, and they they were saying we don't want to be the kind of band that you know just just does stadiums all the time, mm. and and really, it it seems like everybody's really far away and no one's really having a good time, and yes, that the it's a lot more it's a lot of anticipation and the show's not that very not very good, so they were saying in ninety nine they want to keep the small venue thing, which for me straight away. Is so far away from from you two. Yeah, definitely. Because I don't think you're ever going to see u two playing to less than ten thousand people these days.
0: No, not unless it's on some sort of you know sh- sh- interview show, you know, like a Jonathan Ross or something like that. And even then, Bono is making it a big occasion. You know, headbutting cameras, that kind of thing.
1: <laughs> it, it's just it's it's strange for a band to say that because there's going to be a lot more money made from stadium mm. shows, yes. obviously. So I kind of respect that they know. That the kind of sound suits a smaller yes. audience, but they also have some bangers which we'll discuss, which yeah. would really go down well in a stadium setting.
0: They would, yeah, definitely. Um, similarly, I was listening recently to uh, Dougie Payne um, on Adam Buxton's podcast. Obviously, fantastic podcast, everyone knows that. Um, and he, um, it's one, on one of the episodes where Adam goes on a skiing holiday. Was he having a ramble chat? uh it was yeah basically yeah yeah. um and they were rambling up the side of a mountain um on a ski lift and Dougie was talking to him about that particular time um and he does mention that Coldplay came in and kind of really got enormous sort of off the back of their sound really he kind of said in so many words I would agree yeah that they kind of nicked their sound really but then Dougie went on to say which I completely agree with um Coldplay started to magpie different things So whatever was in fashion at the time Bit of U2 from over here, a bit of Arcade Fire from over there um, And they would play to their strengths Now I don't think that's cynical I think that's just what Chris Martin does I think he's like, oh I like that, I'll do something similar myself I mean, and you two have done that a lot,
1: haven't they? Yeah, it's about time Chris Martin had a nickname Magpie Martin Magpie Martin
0: <laughs> Good Um yeah, or a criminal, Chris, as you could say, if you've been, if you've been oh, cynical, because he's stealing ideas. Anyway, call um, the police. So they said, or Dougie said, in that particular thing, like he knew that that wasn't really the way that Travis were going to go. Pretty much echoing what you're saying there. I think they have remained a band that's quite intimate, that gets on very, very well with its fans. Um, on a weird little junket that I watched on YouTube today um, about travis in america they said how they they were having lots of they would take the guitars with them to every radio interview that they wanted to do things that were more radio than web focused and this was in the very early days of the internet because they wanted to always have a connection to the fans um so i i think that's a really that's a good idea um but anyway who are travis let, let, us, let us i want to know
1: i don't know who doug is well um let's let's
0: just clarify things now disclaimer just like i think we're gonna have to do for every single episode we don't know that much about the bands on this particular series. I know
1: nothing about Travis.
0: Well, I I know very little. I, it's I'm, your job to teach me. Well, I don't know that much about them to be honest, but I'll, I'll give you the Wikipedia like kind of like brief brief kind of intro to them. So, Scottish band formed in Glasgow in 1990. I think they went through a lot of different personnel changes very early on, and then solidified to the core members, which Fran Healy. Fran. It's a, <laughs> a black books reference for anyone who were uh, who were. Uh, who watches black books, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't think many people will get that, but the ones, who've, the ones who do will enjoy it. Um, so, Fran Healy, who's the singer, rhythm guitar, Dougie Payne, who's a bassist, a backing vocals, and he's he's my favourite member, I think. He just seems like a really nice guy. Uh, Andy Dunlop, guitar, banjo, a bit of backing vocals every now and then, and Neil Primrose, the drummer. The band's name, I didn't know this until I looked it up on Wikipedia, comes from the Harry Dean Staten character, Travis Henderson, from the film Paris Texas. I've never seen that film, so no idea. Never heard of it, mate. Yeah. I remember there was a lad in our year, actually, whose, whose real name was Robert, but um, he had a one of those Hoxton Fins, you know, the haircut that, that Fran had that was sort of popular. It's like a weird Mohican. Yes, yeah. Yeah, he had one of those, and he was known as Travis for, or Trav for, I think, four years of his uh, secondary high school career, purely on the basis of this one haircut.
1: So he's the subject of bullying, really.
0: No, he enjoyed it, yeah. and he, he 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 himself enjoyed somewhat of a cult status because of this haircut. He was seen as somewhat of a, a you know a, a free thinker, I believe.
1: I tried to come up with my own nickname in high school. It
0: never caught on. What was that? Is it wait? Is it radio friendly? Yeah. All right, go on then. What is it?
1: Why, why would I come up with my own <laughs> nickname that isn't radio friendly? It's sort of
0: thing you do at that age,
1: right? <laughs> I know that in your head you have this this name now. Hmm. That, you, that you think oh, I would? So what what no, were you no, thinking? No of? no, I
0: genuinely didn't think of anything. And even if I had, I wouldn't say it. But I no, hadn't. but can you not clean it up? Uh, no, my my main recollection of you at that particular time is you had a T shirt that said the rat on it, and I thought, oh, the rat you can't ignore. That was a great T shirt. I remember just said the rat, and I was like, why does Tyler wear a T shirt with the rat written on it? No, anyway,
1: it was the rat you can't ignore. It was bought from Jack and Jones in about two thousand and six.
0: Hmm. Right. Well, come on. Tell <laughs> what, what's this nickname? So we can get back to my this.
1: nickname was Range. Range, range.
0: Could you pot around there on a Sunday afternoon and pick up some uh, lumber and some? Uh, no,
1: because uh, tools. I was a big fan of Lord of the Rings and I wanted a nickname like Strider. Ah, and why not Ranger then? So I got a, I got a Thasaurus uh, uh, out. You know, you've, you've
0: you've actually. Uh, You've slipped on that word before, actually, on this very podcast. Oh?
1: Yeah. I got a thesaurus out. There Mm -hmm. you go. Yep. And um, probably just looked up Stride, and Range was one of the options, (laughs) and I thought, Range, that'll work. Well... No one ever called me Range. What a strange thing to do. (laughs) Um,
0: Right, so the band um, was widely claimed by the media as having paved the way for other bands such as Keen, where are they now, and uh, we're not doing Keen, uh, and Coldplay, uh, who who would go on to achieve worldwide success throughout the 2000s. Uh, and the band's The Man Who, the 1999 album, which has got Why Does It Always Rain On Me, is I think it's difficult to, to argue between this one and that one as which is the bigger album. That I one ch-
1: certainly gets talked about more. Really? From from what I've been researching this week, hmm. that album seems to pop up more. They get asked about that album more than, than Invisible Band.
0: Well i chose this one i like both albums we may eventually cover that one at some point but i thought this would be the one that you two fans would know more um that might have been the wrong decision but there we go um yeah um another little kind of segue into you two um nigel nigel godrich who we'll talk about later um he actually produced a remix to walk on or i think he actually just remixed walk on i'll have to check the liner notes um And Eno um, was involved in um, the Boy with No Name, so there's little crossovers here and there between the between the uh, between the two bands. Yeah, so this particular album, Leonard Lair said that, along with Coldplay's Parachutes, linked back to our last episode, The Man Who became slowly one of the most ubiquitous releases of the of the century. So maybe we should have done The Man Who, but we've done The Invisible Band, and that's what we're going to talk about this week on this episode of Then You Might Like. Okay, Tyler, hit me with the top ten from when The Invisible Band by Travis was released. What date was that, on the on the release? The release date... Oh, wait, June the 11th, 2001.
1: Okay, so here we go with the top ten. In at number ten, down three this week, It's Singed by Travis. Right. Uh, num- in at number nine, Close to You by Marty Pello. <laughs> in at number eight, Down Two Places, All Rise by Blue. Mm. Number seven, Don't Stop Moving by S Club 7. That's a new entry. Uh, Number six, Romeo by Basement Jacks. Also a new entry. Number five, Another Day in Paradise by Brandy and Ray J. This is taking me right back to high school, this. Carry on. Number four, Here and Now, You'll Be Sorry by Steps. Also a new entry. Uh, Number three, We Come One by Faithless. Tune. Number two, Do You Really Like It by DJ Piped Piper. Non-mover. Maybe it should. And number one... Holding the top spot for another week is Angel by Shaggy. Oh,
0: terrible, terrible radio wave plaguing song. That's a very nostalgic playlist, that. Yeah. Some people might think this is a waste of time, but I, I think it genuinely gets you back into the, the mood of where this album comes from.
1: But sometimes when we do these top tens, we we have no recollection. Of, and I think we remember a lot of those songs, maybe for the wrong reasons, but mm. quite a lot of memorable tracks, though.
0: Yeah, definitely. Certainly more than last time. Um, and very sugary, I think, like that, that whole and top And Nice ten. That Sing is in there, as well.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah. Very, very
0: um, appropriate. So, Travis have got a bit of a reputation as... Like Coldplay, I guess, and you 2 as being a bit middle-of-the-road, a bit vanilla um, in some people's eyes. I obviously don't
1: think that. I think because Travis have been more more under the radar, mm. those bands have been a bit quieter. Yes. Then they don't suffer from that as much. Yeah. Like when, I, if I, when I mention Coldplay to people, I can almost see the disgust in their face. <laughs> yes, yes. When you mention Travis to people, there's more of an interest... Well, I think that's a, that's
0: a conscious thing as well, because, and particularly on this album, because they called it the Invisible Band because they wanted to, for the music to speak for itself and the band to sort of melt away. And if you, 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 if you look at the album just for a second or two, the cover, then you might actually just not notice the band, particularly from a distance, but they are actually in that particular cover. You just mainly see this beautiful picture of, a, of an enormous tree. I think it's a famous tree, but I don't know which tree it is. Not many famous
1: trees. We've done this before.
0: <laughs> um... Yeah, so um, it's all about the music and that is why I think, um, along with the fact that the band just seem like very genuinely nice guys, that they don't get the same criticism. They've certainly not got the pomp and swagger of a Martin or a a Hewson, you know, so that's that's not really going to happen to them. So, should we
1: get into Sing then, Tyler? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. First single uh, was released on the 27th of May 2001 and it peaked at number three in the UK charts. Brilliant, yeah. Um, and it was accompanied by a relatively
0: famous music video, or at least one that sticks out to me in my memory, of the band having a food fight at a very swanky dinner that's being given. And there's this amazing slow-mo shot of a of a squid or an octopus flying, I think it's an octopus, flying through the air and bashing on someone's head. I've just thought now, if that's a real squid, then that's very, very bad for in terms of animal rights, but... Might have been a CG. Sorry, right, it
1: turns out people didn't care about that kind of thing in two thousand and one. Oh, oh,
0: good. Um, and they recreated that food fight um, on top of the pops, which I just showed Tyler before we started. Poor squid. Um, this. <laughs> Luckily, uh, the squid or octopus wasn't wasn't there actually. Um, but yeah, I, I, and I think that really shows. It's a very difficult video to find. I had to go on some sort of Russian site to watch the video of the top of the pops thing. Really? Send me the link. <laughs> right. Anyway, so I had to go on there anyway, and. Um, yeah, it's it's very fun. They give the crowd lots of um streamers and the and the three members of the band all stick like custard pies into um, Fran's face who and he str- like sort of carries on heroically singing the song. It's it's brilliant and it it sort of sums up the band for me. Um and I think it's a sort of open-hearted quality. That's the, the the sort of adjective that I would keep coming back to again when I was listening to this album. Travis are a very open-hearted band and that in itself deserves credit. There's no artifice here. There's no sort of like bono shades on you know behind the mask or um mephisto kind of or mcphisto kind of you know duality here this it feels like this is a very very personal band who are very open and
1: this song is about that really I, I like I do like the glam aspects of, of rock and roll. Oh yeah, obviously. But it doesn't suit some bands and I would I would hate uh, I would hate a band to begrudgingly walk on stage in, you know, platforms or LeMay suits <laughs> yes. and makeup. So it, it it does work for Travis, but what this song took me back to is a a time in my life when I was a younger and uh, my parents in summer would occasionally palm me off on a, onto a family mm-hmm. who lived up the road. Um and they sang in the car, all of them, like mum, dad, child. They they would sing along to the radio, and this was foreign to me because I'd yeah. I'd never experienced this. My my family just didn't do that. I do it mm. probably much the chagrin now. But mm. um, this was the first time I'd experienced singing along to the radio in, in a car. With it any good? Yeah, it was all right. A brimful of Asher was a was a uh, big hit, and they're they're you. all going for it, and yeah. uh, and so this song i remember singing this in a car i don't know where and i don't know if it's a false memory because i think when this came out maybe maybe we were still going on those little caravan excursions mm. when this song came out but it reminded me of that time yeah and it was it was kind of an enlightening for me Yes, that that's such, a, and it is obviously a, pop, a popular pastime for people when when mm. they're driving. And and no, I can't really imagine not singing in the car. Beats conversation any day of the week. <laughs> so
0: um, very appropriate that it was this particular song as well, which is about the you, life doesn't really mean anything unless you're going to sing along the journey. You know, yeah, and and, and pretty pretty it is it was one said. of
1: those songs. You know, that that you could. It was unifying because this this family that I was going on a holiday with, they were singing to. Mm to songs like this and it works and even now you want you listen to sing and you do want to sing along it's very hummable very mm. singable uh it's very hooky it just grabs you from the very start
0: yes and it's a good it's a good way to start the album which is why i have put it on the start of this podcast as well um and i think this right from the start you get to see Nigel Godrich, the producer, who I think is like almost like a fifth member on this um, album, really taking control because this song could have been done in such a boring way. Even just you know the start, that that kind of almost sort of like I don't know what it would be. It's almost like a a reverse note at the very start that sort of spools you into the song.
1: Yeah, very synthy kind of sound. Yeah, it's it's weird. It's um, there's, like, there's weird bits of synth or, or I don't know if it is synth. It might be guitars played mm. backwards, something like that. But there's all the way through this album. Yes. And I think if that wasn't there, it would just seem like, oh, this is just... Yes. This is middle of the road. This is bland. Mm. But it's so much more interesting that you've got these these things coming in and out through, throughout all the songs. Mm. Little bits of, of sound just that you, you, that you can't... Really, You don't really know what it is. And the stuff there that um, that it doesn't... It's not like a
0: repeated phrase or anything. It's something that just pops up for a second and goes away. Like, oh, that was interesting. That was yeah. weird. And it
1: it doesn't take away from the songs either. It's not just window dressing. Um, no, but when you sit down to review it or, or you pay more attention to it, then it, it just... It really does make it... It puts it on another level. Yeah. Because without it, these would be songs that you could very simply play on an acoustic guitar in a pub. Mm. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And Which is to its credit... You know, it just speaks to the the production. They're much harder to replicate with those those little bits. It's not quite Travis without those. No, and those things would be left on as
0: well. For the I, I, what I really like is, I remember on the listening to this on the radio for the first time, they would have that little bit, probably shortened, but it would still be there because it was such an integral part of the song. It wasn't like, oh, let's cut that off for the radio edits, It's rubbish. It was it was on there as far as I can remember. Yeah. Um, I'll just butcher very, very quickly um, something that Dougie said, and you can go and listen to him explain this on the Adam Buxton podcast if you want to, but when he's talking about Nigel Godridge, they apparently were doing, I think this was for The Man Who, but they were doing that, they were recording that album, and they'd they'd finished quite a lot of it, I think, and they went off to the pub or something like that, and Nigel said, like, go away for a bit, and Dougie came back a bit earlier than expected. and nigel, nigel was sort of on like he said that he was almost like on top of the mixing deck you know like, like all hands and limbs like moving everything around and dougie's like what are you doing he says i'm put i'm making it amazing so i think that's where like his touches are all through this and this is where you get all those little hints of of like i don't want to say just radio heady sort of things but god richie things all the way through and i think they'll be interesting to talk about um yeah good start to the album um this is a song which features banjo very heavily and I don't mind it, which is to Andy Dunlop's credit because I'm not a massive fan of the banjo just as a a general instrument. If someone says, oh, I've got a song, let's put a banjo track on it, I'm like, probably a bad idea. I,
1: I love a banjo. You know I love a banjo. <laughs> um, and it, when, I, when I was listening to it, and I was like, oh, is that a banjo or is it just a guitar made to sound like a banjo? Oh, it's definitely a banjo. And... I, So it gets an even bigger thumbs up from me. Because a banjo these days is a drastically underused instrument.
0: Mm, I think it's used about as much as it should be. By Cowboys Sitting Around Campfires and by Andy Dunlop
1: on appropriate tracks. Um, Okay. Really, really happy way to start an album. Really good. Although there is a... If If you're sat at home and you've never listened to this album, or if you're on the bus and you've never listened to this album, and you want to, you know, you just you're going to put it on this really will get you into this album mm. it really will just any reservations you had will disappear within the 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 three and a half minutes that this song lasts
0: and, and even though we're saying it's happy there are some sort of hints of like melancholy kind of bits on this as well um like he just he talks about you know ev- he just sound quite wistful in the in the chorus, and he's talking about um, nothing seems to be going right, all that kind of thing. And that's why the chorus is so uplifting because you've had the slight sort of dip in the verse in terms of mood. Like the the, the verse has got a lot of stuff about you know being cold and lost and that kind of thing.
1: But there's, throughout the album, the, there's, there's the general feeling like yeah, sometimes life's going to be pretty bad. Sometimes you're not going to be having a good time. Mm. But don't worry, you're not the only one going through it. You're not the only one that's ever been through it. You know, and then this this song. It, it kind of unifies people and go. You know mm. what? I'm going to survive this. I'm going to be okay. Yeah, because we can all sing together. That's that's a takeout I, I took from the the album in in general.
0: Yeah, I think that is a, a persistent theme, and this is a, a. I think it does hang together as an album as well. It's it's an album of songs. Maybe some shouldn't have made the cut, but we'll, we'll get to that later on. Um, so I think the next song, "Dear Diary," is an interesting turn. I like it. But it's always, and I remember this even at the time when I very first listened to this. I've always thought, what a weird place for this song, track listing wise. Mm-hmm. It interrupts a run of absolute big numbers. You know, as far as Travis get big numbers, you know, like the, these, you know, sing side, pipe dreams, massive songs, and
1: it's just weird that you've got dear diary there. Yeah, it does sound like it should be way further back in the album. Yeah, but is that good or bad? I, I can't tell. Um, I think it's bad. Right. Um, I think this should be further into the album, but also if it was further into the album, I mean it's track two, and I'd skip it. Mm. It's 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 not a good. You listened to it this time, though, didn't you? I I listened to it a few times, and I have been skipping it the last few days because it just it doesn't. I don't feel it offers me that much. I, I feel like I I want if I'm gonna listen to this album, I want to listen to this album for. Songs like "Sing" and "Side" and "Pipe Dreams" mm. uh, and others that we'll talk about. This really ruins my groove. It really, <laughs> it, it it's a thorn in the side for me. This this album. The side, um,
0: thorn before side. Um, anyway, so I think, and apologies to Travis fans because I think we're going to probably come across. In the same way that that we we as U two fans we would probably talk about all the deep cuts and then people were very surprised like wait they don't really like pride very much I think that's going to happen so if you're a Travis fan you're probably turning your hair out thinking like oh dear diary is an amazing song yeah I I like it I think it's a good song I just think it
1: may... and we're not opposed to listening to you know deep cuts we just don't know them yeah exactly. we've spent an indecent amount of time in our lives listening to U two <laughs> yes and so naturally we've not. Gone as deeply into other bands that perhaps we should have done.
0: Yes, and if you are here because you like those other bands, check out review two, the uh, <laughs> the previous things. Go go way back to the uh, the album reviews because we did a lot of other stuff. Um, Dear Diary, I think I like the lyrics though. The the lyrics are interesting. Dear Diary, what is wrong with me? I think that's you know because I'm fine in between. I'm fine between the lines. It's almost like he's he's okay when he's writing. He's okay when he's either writing or in lines of music, that kind of thing. But then in general, he doesn't feel full and correct. I don't know... I didn't know if it was a reference to drug use. Possibly. I don't, they don't strike me as a very druggy band. No, but it was the 90s. Well, the 2000s here. Unless he's reflecting on the 90s. Yeah, but they, they had to write it beforehand. I, yeah i guess I mean it's, it's it's a pointless distinction isn't it um but this this is a, an interesting conversation i like the idea of a conversation with yourself as a song it's just it's it's very reflective and the production is very reflective as well it's very very low key he's very close to the mic um so yeah I don't know it's atmospheric but then why is it right here at the start i don't know i i i it's weird. I don't know if I like it or not that it's so that the track listing is, is sticking out so much to me here. Um, yeah,
1: yeah. I, I, there's not a lot I can say about Dear Diary. Um, it's not. It's not terrible. It's two minutes fifty-seven. It it just there are better songs on the album, mm, well, and, it, and it is a weird placing because you're gonna you're gonna buy this and say if you bought it at the time and the, the singles were uh, sing Side and. Flows in the Window, uh, all fairly upbeat songs, and then track number two is this. You're going to wonder what you have bought a little bit. Well, maybe that was to head off at the pass any kind of just lazy
0: criticism that, like, oh, they're just a, a big band, you know, big reverby band with very, like, very airy, sort of, like, but ultimately not very deep hits. Maybe they were like, oh, well, we'll put in a sort of deeper, quirkier, more Radiohead-style
1: produced song at the start. Having said that, though, the Success of the man who mm-hmm. may play into it, so maybe you know more people. More people are expected to buy this because the man who was such a success. Mm. So maybe they know what they're getting. Well, on
0: the man who, and I'll just I'll just double check. But on the man who, um, there is a song called "The Fear," and I'll just check. I believe that that one was also track two. Yes, yeah, so so you've got Right to Reach You," which is obviously a very famous song, and um, as you are in "Driftwood," following it's almost actually the very a very similar pattern of having four big songs. Well, 12, sorry, three big 12 songs. Twelve tracks, in- first
1: three albums, twelve tracks, as well. Yeah. So maybe maybe they are in kind of a a routine a pattern. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so track three side in at three minutes and fifty nine seconds. I'm not sure if people are that interested in the specific times for each of the tracks. Oh, just uh, you know, just for anyone that is. Mm, okay. Uh, it was released on the 17th of September 2001 uh, as the second single, and it reached number 14 peak position in the UK charts, mm. which is somewhat bloody surprising if I'm. If I say so myself, really. Because you you think this is a hit? Yeah, of course it is. Yeah, no, I agree. It's a really good, really good song.
0: Um, and these, the, well, these were
1: the days of singles. People were still buying singles at that point.
0: Yes. Yeah. Um, it is a bit odd that it. Maybe it's because this one is slightly more complex. I'm not saying it's a a really deep, intri- like intricate song in terms of its meaning or anything like that. But um, it's certainly a bit more complex. When compared to, say, Sing or Flowers in the Window. Um, one thing I really liked about it is the um, the opening notes, the guitar notes. And just, I mean, just I love the guitar on this album overall. Andy Dunlop does a fantastic job. Um, but this to me really appealed to that. Um, it sounds a bit walk on ish, you know, the, um, the the start, those just individual kind of really well chosen elegant notes are at the start. The doom, ding, 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 ding. You know, it's not overplaying. There's no note there that, that, that has been. You know, put in just for the sake of it, basically. And then when the chorus hits, the guitar like I don't want to be too sort of poetic, but it's like a waterfall of sound. It's lovely. yeah, it
1: just it just completely it completely builds from the start. There's no messing around involved in this song. Mm. It's just, it's this is a single through and through. Yes, it is. It really there, there was, there was. There was would never have been a conversation like, oh well, should we release side as a single or should mm. we not? You know, it it was this was definitely written to be a single, a side, an a side single. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, very edge-sounding guitar, yep. Uh, mainly through the chorus, and uh, rocky slash jangly. Uh, <laughs> all these guitar technical terms that i have picking up.
0: That, that, to be honest, though, that is the term that always gets bandied around with with you two, with. Um... What's-His-Face, Peter Book from R.E.M. Yeah. And, uh, and Johnny Buckley, a jangly kind of, you know, sound. I don't know if it's the best term, really. I mean, they're not the birds.
1: No, but, well, I was saying, like, it's more edgy in the chorus and more rocky and jangly in the um, in the verse. Mm. Um, very positive lyrics. Uh, well. You remember, the grass is always greener on the other side. That neighbour's got a new car <laughs> that you want to drive. Time's running out. You want to stay alive. I like this has become our new bit, just reading lyrics out of context. Um,
0: <laughs> there are, I mean, yeah, there are there are very positive bits in this, but also like he, he, taught, he life is a major and a minor key, Tyler. I think you're forgetting. Yeah, you can tell I've just loaded up the, uh, the lyrics here. Um, we all live under the same sky, positive. We all will live, positive. We all die, negative. So there's like a, a balance of different things there. I think I think all the way through this album, people would just say, "Oh, Travis are just very." Fun, happy band. There is melancholy that's threaded all the way through it, which works.
1: Yeah. Um, There's um, a lovely beep kind of sound towards the end. In the bridge bit. Yeah. It's in the. Yeah, yeah. I just love that. It's like a signal being sent out to space. Yeah. It's like the power of positivity being sent out. Like, (laughs) good vibes, people. Good vibes. Hey, you on Mars? Good vibes. (laughs) Venus? Good vibes. And that's just what I thought of. I thought of this every every time there's that synthy thing coming in and out it just to me it's like space hmm. this song is being broadcast out to people to to connect people i suppose
0: hmm. yeah i mean and it, it it's a very it's got very universal themes hasn't it about you know the fact that the, the circle only has one side i don't know what that means um but it seems like a very universal kind of theme we all live we all will die these are considering it, how intimate Dear diary has been this is Big, you know, and it's got a big sound which fits. Yeah. Um, also, Dougie, he is a very active bass bassist. Basically, I think Guy Berryman could take a couple of lessons off Dougie to be honest. Because just if you even if you think you know this song really well, just re-listen and only focus on the bass. It, it does so much, and it's not overplaying either at all. It really makes it. It really um, develops some of the counter melody, melodies that are going on in there. So just have a listen because Dougie deserves a round of applause for this this song. Yeah, It's just a great song, isn't it? Mm, yeah, I think we're, yeah, I think there's not really much more we can say about it. No, on to number four, Pipe Dreams. Yes, this might be my favourite Travis song. Uh, what, at four minutes, six seconds? Yep. I've got five seconds here. Someone's contradicting you online here, Tyler. Well, they're, they're wrong. <laughs> um, I... I've, I've, this is one of those songs that is just so unskippable for me. It's like, a bit like one of those films that you see and you think, oh, I'm, I'm going to settle down and watch all of this, you know. Um, like Shawshank Redemption or The Great Escape or something like that. It's just like, I'm going to definitely watch all of this. This I've never skipped this song because it's just so well put together. Um, I was learning how to play it the other week on, on guitar, singing it quite badly as well. Um, and we've not really talked about Fran's voice very much. Fran. <laughs> He's got an incredible voice and it works really really well on this, pati- this particular song um the his there's no one who phrases words like he does like for example on this when he says what had you heard he stretches that word heard out in such a interesting way yeah it's and you know we we're talking about chris martin last week on um the parachutes episode and we sort of disagreed about his brittle falsetto this is another incredibly i say this is even more unique the way he sings and phrases, particular songs.
1: Yeah, it's very memorable, and I was actually trying to think of uh, what uh, what effects are on his voice. Very occasionally, it sounds like he's got the kind of effect, you know, when it makes you sound like you you're singing through a, like a wireless radio. Mm. The kind of effect that Julian Casablancas uses a lot with The Strokes. All right, yeah, yeah. but very, very slight, like to the mm. point where you almost don't, don't notice it. it. Yeah. Um, which I don't know if that is true or if it's just the way I hear it. Yeah. But I do think there's elements of that effect. Whereas Casablanca, I mean, I, I like him.
0: okay yeah. Casablancas? Casablancas, I think. Yeah. Anyway, he, I I really like The Strokes, Um, but I think he used it to make up for the fact that naturally he's not got a strong voice. It's a, I mean, they're quite a raspy band, or at least they, they were in those days, The Strokes. He's all right on Instant Crush. Yeah, no, he's he's very good there, but I think that's when he's got settled. I mean, early Strokes is very rough vocally speaking.
1: Yeah, I think uh, yeah, I think there
0: are, and that's it, a great sound. I
1: think it's stylistic for the Strokes now. Though. Yeah,
0: exactly. Whereas it's but, the sound, isn't it? But I mean, Fran has got an undeniably yeah, he's got a very good beautiful voice. voice on this, yeah. and I think this song is where it comes through really well. Um, the guitars are almost kind of um, almost again. I mean, it's going to be a cliche, I guess, to say that they're edgy, but they are edgy. Almost a bit similar to. Um, Sound on shiver that um, that um,
1: Coldplay had. Um, well, in terms of the lyrics, it's it, to me it's only like somebody that's just been dumped by text.
0: Yeah, I think there's a lot of I think I don't know about this, and um, again, Charles Franz probably shouting at the podcast. I was going to say radio, then um, whatever app they're using. Um, but it does sound like Franz been through some sort of breakup on this album quite recently. Yeah, there's a lot of songs that sound. Uh, like, resignation or just sadness at, at at something that's ended.
1: To defend us, though, maybe, you know, if... Because if, we're, we're coming from... And we don't know everything about the album. Mm-hmm. We're just reviewing the album as is. Yeah, and how it sounds to us. So if this is the impression we're getting and that is the true story... Yeah. Then I think that's fair enough. For, well, we're allowed to have that opinion. Well, on, on, the, um, on one of the verses, so he, he says, I stood in line and a
0: thought crossed my mind... I could I could have been dreaming. I didn't mind. I signed the line, and the woman looked right right through me. She didn't smile. I think that it sounds a lot like a divorce occurring. Really, you know, signing on a particular line, and obviously they don't have to be autobiographical songs necessarily. They could just be about a person. The speaker isn't necessarily Fran yeah. in these songs. But um, I like that idea of you know just small small details and things like that sung beautifully. And weirdly, the real star of this of this. Um, of this song are the backing vocals i just i I just think if if you listen to the backing vocals they they've been mixed in a very kind of i don't know ethereal sort of like quality to them
1: yeah it does it does um this is really a song for people going through that kind of time regardless of who's actually speaking uh and in one line in particular reminded me of acrobat by U two on the acting baby album yeah uh, One of my favourite songs. I'd pray to God if there was heaven, but heaven seems so very far from here. Yes, yeah.
0: Um, I, I think that is a good a good link. And I think it's wrestling with those bigger ideas. Uh, you can probably hear a, a bin lorry outside uh, reversing uh, to just sort of punctuate this very we'll always do this. Normally,
1: normally it doesn't pick it up. I think that's
0: definitely... It picked up my fire alarm when it was going off.
1: Yeah, but the lorry isn't in the house.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. Um... Anyway, back to the, back to the song title. Stop interrupting and, and taking us off into stupid, meaningless tangents. Um, right, so so yeah, I think when you have someone wrestling in what feels like a genuine way because of the way it's sung, um, with issues of faith, I think that is what adds up to a, a good a good song. Basically, not not either sort of e- easy easy support or easy attack of things like that and big themes. And I think the very start where he says, "I read it all, every word, and I still don't understand a thing." I think he might be talking about the Bible, though. I can't really think about. I mean, unless it's like divorce papers, if we're taking that divorce thing further. But I think that's what springs to my mind straight away. That idea of you can read it all, and it's meant to be. You know, well, it obviously, is a kind of foundation text of Western literature. You could read it all and still not understand it. I think that's that's a that's a a really interesting thing to talk about, really. And like songs, you you might
1: not understand them completely fully. No, um, I think at this point in the album you you get that this that Travis are very good at just getting to the point of a song mm. and they they're very good at getting a message across and this isn't the this isn't like the one, the one of the singles where it's very easy to learn learn the lyrics it's not as hooky as the singles but if you listen to it you really do want to start singing along yes it it does it does grab you so four, four tracks in then you I think the confidence in this album Mm. Is is really it's already there? Yes. So, uh- I, and I hope you, if you are listening to this, maybe rediscovering it, then you feel like that as well because this was been a joy to listen to so far. Mm. So far, let's see if that carries on.
0: So, flowers in the
1: window, Tyler. When was this released? Uh, so this is the third single, and uh, the time for those keeping the score at home is 3 minutes 30... No, it's 3 minutes 42. Uh, <laughs> so it was the third single, and it was released on the 25th of March 2002, so getting up to a year after, hmm. about nine months after the album came out, and peak position is number 18. Strange. That, that surprises me. Um, yeah. Yeah, is but I think this song must have already been known and heard, and people yes, had the album. That's true, actually, by that point. So um, you say March as well, March two thousand and two. That's weird, because I always associate
0: this song with summer. Maybe it's just because it is very, very bright, very jangly, banjo heavy, um, and maybe it was just played a lot that 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 summer on the radio. But um, it, it does feel like it's a you know the middle of a British sort of summer kind of vibe to it.
1: I've actually put. Are Travis the happiest sounding band on the planet? In this song, perhaps, uh, perhaps, perhaps um,
0: Yeah, I had to force myself to listen to this. I, I don't like this song particularly now, but it's not a bad song. So I'll give you an analogy. Okay, it's not quite of
1: the same quality as the others.
0: No, it's not. Well, right. I think it's just a different kind of thing. So I'm not going to like have a go at something for not for not being something else. If you know what I mean. So, an analogy, right? Strawberry trifle, right? I don't particularly like strawberry trifle. It's too sweet, too strawberry y and just too like yeah, like it's just not nice. Okay. But a really, really made strawberry trifle. I'm not gonna have a go at it, it's probably the best version of what it can be.
1: <laughs> Even that description made me want a, a strawberry trifle.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but you see what I'm saying? This this is for what it is, if you write, say write me a nice upbeat, um lyrically you know, kind of enjoyable and sort of cute-sounding banjo-heavy song. Then this is brilliant. You know, this is exactly, exactly that. I don't want that though. I don't want strawberry
1: trifle. I want like a you know <laughs> a, th- a thick dark chocolate and hazelnut tart. Well, the song was written long before the release of the second album, which was The Man Who. Uh, and although he is uncredited on the album, it was actually co-written by our friend McCartney. Angela Lansbury. <laughs> so, um, in an interview with Rate Your Music, Healy claimed, I met McCartney whilst recording a TV programme. I played him an unfinished track from the new album. He said, that's a great little song, and he helped us finish it. So... Mm. I wonder how much he actually did, though. What you gotta do, you gotta do this. And you gotta get Ringo in, and he'll beat some bongos out of you. <laughs> i Angela Lansbury. Yeah. <laughs> and he murders. <laughs>
0: Oh, that was from Birmingham. Oh, terrible! Um,
1: he's got that kind of voice, though. So he kind of goes up and down like this, and you're not really sure where he's from at the end of the day. Yeah,
0: I'm just thinking back to that Meat Free Mondays. Um, meat Free rap. Mondays. Right.
1: Let's drop. John was telling me about this. <laughs> I doubt he was. Uh. <laughs> if you've not, if you've not um, already, he was a vegetarian. John John Lennon. Yeah, but he was dead by that point. Yeah, but he he, he didn't eat meat on any day. I don't
0: I don't even so know. So he if, definitely had Meat Free Mondays. I don't even know if Lennon was a veggie. Maybe he was, I don't know. He's the sort, isn't he? Well, very much so, but I don't, but I don't know if he was. Yeah. Anyway, um, if you've not, check out the Meat Free Monday song and then McCartney on YouTube talking about it because it is amazing because he does a little rap at the end, which is borderline offensive.
1: If you're a new listener, we should just explain that we always refer to Paul McCartney as Angela Lansbury. Actually, yeah, that's very weird, isn't it? Yeah. Me, isn't <laughs> so, it? Uh, and if you don't know why, just Google... Just Google McCartney Lansbury. I think deep down, everyone knows why. Yeah, I think even Paul McCartney would
0: <laughs> sometimes do a double take and that, like, oh,
1: "Murder, she wrote." I, I really hope so. I hope. It, I really hope it's something he's aware of.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, um, right? Uh, seagulls. Did you know it's the seagulls in this song? Of course, yeah. Yeah. Um, there are two songs in the history of rock music where seagulls are appropriate. London Calling. And U 2s kind of purposeful homage to that in this is where you can reach me now, where there is also singles, uh, singles, seagulls.
1: Are they the same seagulls? I doubt they it. They could be the most popular recording seagulls in the on the <laughs> planet. They could be headlining Glastonbury next year.
0: Mm, there's probably already a band called the Seagulls. Um, the gong at the end irritates me as well. I don't like that gong. It's always felt just like just unnecessary and a bit of this sort of silly. Silly choice. Um, yep. It's right, it's a good song, isn't it? Is it for what yeah, it is, it's I, I a think, good song. I, think, I wish I'd written
1: it. I think very often when you when you're reviewing albums retrospectively, like we are, it's very easy to overlook the impact that they had at the time. Yeah. But we lived through this period, and I think you can, you have to admit that at the time this was a huge hit. I can't believe it only got to number eight. Yeah, that is
0: that's very strange. I think it is literally just the fact that. People had it on the album uh, already, yeah. you know, because um, it, it, it was huge and it still gets played. You still hear this song played yep. on the radio now, and it's 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 fallen victim to the same problem that Pride, that Yellow, that um, well, lots of songs have. It's just overplayed, and it's it, so it's a nice little <laughs> kind of ditty. But... but no, no
1: bad song has ever been overplayed. Oh, I don't know about it ha- that. It has to be a good song or ha- have a certain appeal. To, just to that get, to get played, people have to want to hear it for it to be played.
0: I'm not disagreeing that people have to want to hear it, but even that top ten you read at the start proves that bad songs can get up high in the charts. there's some right stinkers in there, and I'm not trying to just—I'm not having a go at pop music. There's nothing wrong with pop music, but there's some, what was that? There was one terrible
1: one in there. Um, it was all it was Rise, Shaggy. All Rise. By, oh, there's Angels by shaggy uh, Angel by Shaggy, which was number one. Awful song. All Rise by Blue. That's a good song. Nothing wrong with that. Um, so there you go. We'll be reviewing Blue next week, apparently. <laughs> uh, Do You Really Like It by DJ Pied P- P- Piper. Do you remember that? Yeah, not not particularly fondly. Oh you really like it? Is it, is it wicked? We're loving it, loving it, loving it. Mm. We're loving it, right? It.
0: <laughs> right, well done, Tyler. Okay, so track six...
1: Is the cage?
0: Cage, yeah. And this is um, an example of something we've not really talked about, but there is three minutes and six. By the way. Don't care. There's little bits of stitching between the um, the songs in this album to make it, you know, to give it that feeling. And I think this is what they were trying to go for: of you're being invited into the process of the studio. It's not meant to be here is, you know, here is, you know, a, a big profound album that's perfect. It's more like you're gonna come in and be in the studio and hear Fran and the guy sort of almost like tuning up and going, okay, one, two, three, we're going to do it like this. Um, and I, I like that between the album. I think, it's, I think it's a nice way to stitch all the songs together.
1: Well, did this song remind you of anything? Um, Any other track? Hmm. Not particularly by Travis. Possibly a U2 track then. No, it, it's the Magpie Martin theory, I'm afraid. Uh, this song really reminds me of Strawberry Swing, which is on the Viva La Vida album which came out a good mm. seven years after after this album. Oh, so they um, weren't just stealing off Joe Satriani, I, then? I, I, honestly, if you just listen to the first ten seconds, um, I, I, and then you listen to Strawberry Swing, it starts off in a very, very similar way. What about Strawberry Trifle? Is that not a song uh, that no, Coldplay n- done? Uh, Cold, Coldplay have not yet done a song <laughs> called Strawberry Trifle, but it may be the title of the next album. Better <laughs> than Head for the Dream. <laughs> yeah, it really is. You almost made me swear, then. <laughs> the um, the there's a doubling up effect on the chord. So there's um when on the chord changes where there's a you know there's a a rhythm going yeah, and then when the chord changes there'll just be a single strum mm-hmm. from another guitar. And I thought that was very effective. <laughs> it, it just works. Yeah, it does. It does work. Um, it's just it's just that extra bit of effort that you that most people wouldn't put in, yeah, and a- it makes it harder to replicate. And that's such because this song is these all these songs basically would be very easy to take away and just play on an acoustic guitar. Yeah. But and to actually play them properly, mm. you you need a full band to do yeah. it. Yeah. And I th-
0: I think there's things another thing that's a bit like that is the guitar in the second verse. It's very odd, but it's very intriguing sound. I really like it. I think I think um I think that's that's something that does as you were saying make this different from just an acoustic album really. Um I also think that this is a, like a lot of the songs in this album, it's kind of sneaky, this song, because if you just have it on in the background, it's it's just very nice, very nice sounding. I'm not suggesting for a moment it's background music, but it's one of those sneaky songs that if you had recently broken up with someone, this could absolutely ambush you, this song, and really make you incredibly sad. Um, so, I mean, it is all about the idea of not keeping someone caged, and the fact that a relationship, whether it's a full breakup or not, I'm not sure, but in a relationship, you can't, just cage someone in and say, Mine. I think a lot of teenage relationships are like this when you feel so attached to someone, you can't let them out of your sight and they're very possessive, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think if you'd just broken up with someone, this would have you in bits probably quite quickly, this song. Because it, it, again, it's down to
1: Fran's voice. Which could make this this album a very, um, I'm going to say it, almost like an, an emotional roller coaster. Did you come up with that phrase yourself, Ty? Uh, I think I did. <laughs> wow, you're like William Shakespeare. <laughs> So yeah, I don't think this is an essential song, but if you've not heard it in a while, it might just catch you by surprise. Um, I I think this needs to be
0: on the album. Um, Do you mean essential to the album?
1: Uh, Yeah, it's it's you know it's kind of in many ways it's just there. But I I've listened Mm. to this um, album a lot on heavy rotation this week. Yeah, and I've kind of been up and down with with this this track itself. Mm. But I think it is a good song. It's certainly nowhere near skip territory like Dear Diary is. Mm. Um, but again, I think there's a there's a lot of hope in here. Some things, some things are just meant to happen. Some things mm. are just going to happen. Uh, the lyrics: uh, in, "An empty cage is all I've got because when your bird has flown away, she was never meant to stay or keep her cage." would just delay, oh, To Keep Her Cage would just delay the spring, To Keep Her Cage would just delay the spring.
0: Yeah, that's the lyrics that I sort of like highlighted and came back to. I mean, it's a, it's a nice, it's a very nice, elegant sort of idea. Um, And it's another one of those songs where there's surprising chord changes. Like, Dear Diary does this, where you're suddenly going from major to minor, all the reverse, in a quite surprising way. And I think when I was younger, I used to not like Travis for doing that, but now I'm older, I think I've I pref- I actually quite enjoyed them doing that, having surprising chord changes. Um. The, the song which I think actually isn't really essential here is the next one safe I'm not that bothered about safe to be honest it's I, it sounds like it's about having kids it's talking about someone being tucked away and about feeling safe and and I don't think this song is about anything <laughs>
1: um, I was listening to an interview uh, with Fran Healy and it was on rockecho.coms rockers uh, rockers block and now that's a song uh, uh, um, a little show probably about six to ten minutes long mm. they get an artist on and they um, play the first I think three seconds of a song and they have to guess mm. which song it's always their songs yeah but they have to guess which song it is yes and uh, on that Fran said I really hate that song <laughs> uh, it was it's one of those songs where I think shh it. Right. Yeah. Okay. That well, that's not swearing, is it? Basically, they had eleven tracks, and he was just playing something in the studio, and mm. very quickly wrote safe.
0: I think that can happen as well. Once once people sort of in the sort of white heat of creating a song at its early life, before you've reflected on it very much and thought, is this actually a good song? You can all pile in and be like, right, I will put the drum track down, I'll do the bass, you know, let's. Oh, could we do this? And it is very unnecessary. This song. Um, the reason I'm I'm saying about that is you know the thing about the kids is he's saying um um i'm not afraid of anything they've got to say and you're okay because you're tucked away don't go astray you've got to just be who you are which is kind of it sounds like fatherly advice and he's talking about he's older and he can laugh with a dolly mixed up set of rotten teeth i just think weird lyrics and not particularly engaging so i i agree with with fran here although it's it, i don't think it is about having kids because he only had a kid a lot later on on their album um the boy with no name which is an album uh, because they didn't know what they were going to call the son.
1: Hopefully, that child has now been named. I think it's called Clay. So yeah, interesting. Right. Um. Um. It, there's a there's a part of this song. Um. And it it's uh. I, and I feel safe. I feel so brave. And I'm not afraid of anything they've got to say. Now at that point, every time it got to that point in the song, I was thinking, God, that reminds me of something. That melody's familiar. Mm. What is it? And. It was only on the way here that I realised it's I am the walrus, the cuckoo Hmm. You can see, kind of.
0: I I, w- I wouldn't be knocking down Fran Healy's door if I was Macca saying like you know. No, but
1: it's just it, re- it reminded me so much that I knew it reminded me of something. Yeah. yeah. And then it then the penny dropped of what it was. No, I don't think he's I don't think he's stolen it, and I, and I think if he's just written it in a hurry, mm. it's it's completely innocent.
0: Yeah, it's quite kind of just sort of very. By the numbers, kind of songwriting in terms of melody. That I mean, this is from someone who has obviously never written a song as good as any of these songs. But you know that, that to me, reviewing it, that's what I feel. Um At that bit, the one interesting thing in the song is that Dunlop's guitars get a lot more kind of brave, so to speak, when he says, "You know, I feel so brave." So it basically builds to that line, yeah, and then that's it. Well, more or less, yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting, but it's completely unnecessarily. Put on the album. It doesn't need to be on
1: the album. In summary, I wish the lyrics were better. Um, the melody's good and the instrumental's good, mm. but it's just. It's. It, I think you can tell it was written in a rush. Um, but even Fran himself doesn't like it. So no,
0: no. Well, I'm not, not going to disagree with um, with the man himself. Uh, um, that track was four minutes twenty
1: three.
0: Great. Right. Follow the light. I think. When this song comes on, I remember just it being like, "Oh, good, we're on firmer ground now. We're back to something that's a bit more like the start of the album here." This has a very um, U2 vibe, I would say to it. It could have been, you know, it, I think if they'd given it to U2, um, it has like they they might have played it. You know, it's it's something a bit like
1: Flower Childish to it, I think. Um, yeah, I just put "Take My Money" <laughs> for, the, for this song. I think this really could have been a single. I think it could have been a contender if they needed needed another one. Uh, really, really strong start to the song, mm. and it, it makes you wish you were you were driving down like a you know a national speed limit country lane, cocktail in your hand, sunglasses on, twenty two year old <laughs> beauty sat next to you on the seat, Travis in the back of the car playing along, maybe maybe Macca in a sidecar, you know that 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 kind of feeling. Well, speaking of did you cars, get that
0: as well? <laughs> no, speaking of sidecars, you shouldn't have a cocktail in your hand if you don't. A Virgin cocktail. It's a
1: fantasy, Johnny. What? Travis are in the back. Yeah, but why would you break the law? The rest in of fantasy? that image is uh, completely yeah. my everyday normal life. Yeah, that it is. Well, don't
0: don't drink and drive. <laughs> right. um, yeah, no, it, it's very good for, for that kind of thing. And I think this is if you were a religious person, this would be a good sort of alternate hymn. You know, if you were looking for something, to, you know, beyond the sort of dreary hymns that can often get sung, um, I think this this could be a very symbolic song for you. You know, because of all the you know, follow the light. It's pretty obvious that kind of stuff. Um, not that I'm saying it's a particularly—I don't think it's particularly—you know—consciously religious, but it could be.
1: No, I think there's a few examples on on the album that have religious leanings, if, even if they're not. Yeah, but then outright religious. Any, any
0: any reference to to sort of light and and the way and the path is obviously going to be sort of dominated by that anyway. I felt
1: like this was really succinct as well. Like I think, I feel like it could have gone on longer. This is the one time that I actually care how long
0: the track was. Oh,
1: how the tables have turned. <laughs> Go on it's, then, long, uh, is it? It's three minutes, nine seconds. Yeah, it doesn't need to be any longer than that, I would say. I mean, but could, with, could with a time like that, it does. It says single to me, that. Yes.
0: Because
1: yeah. I think they're a band that consciously write singles and consciously write album tracks. Well, they're... The single collection that came out—I don't
0: know, probably about ten years ago. Maybe I might be getting that wrong, but around about that long ago. um, That's a very strong collection because they are a a good singles band, you know. So, yeah, I think I think you're right with that. Um, I think by this point, though, I think they they did the right thing by releasing the ones that they did release. You know, does that make sense? Uh, On to track nine now, the last train. Yeah, I'm always confused by this because. the song that we're going to review later on, Humpty Dumpty Love Song, that has got what I would consider a very sort of like train sound effect at the start. The percussion's going like, it goes like, it's very oh, right. chuggy, you know. So I always confuse this one, like Last Train, wait, that's the train. No, it isn't. You know, and it just confuses me. Um. Anyway, yeah, this one to me is almost like the sort of the exit, so to speak, like the song off the Joshua Tree that's got kind of... A real darkness that stands out to it. You've gone a
1: very different way with this song than I have.
0: Well, continue. Well, for me, I mean, this one is is very, very bleak and dark. Rain on the brain. Um, Oh, and then he references flowers in your window, which is which is interesting, self-referential. But later on, he says, um, "Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna buy a gun. I'm gonna shoot everything, everyone, and then I'm coming for you because it was you that drove me to this. Could be the last train." It's a very melancholy song, very black in lots of places and dark in its in its kind of in its themes and 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 i love the fact that he says i'm going to shoot everything everyone he doesn't just say i'm going to shoot everyone he says everything like so you you imagine it's it's such a mad idea because you'd literally be firing the gun at inanimate objects and i think that that's what gives this song a real edge and it actually reminds me of um of an album they would come to do later on called 12 memories which is i mean and if you look at the cover of that compared to this There's no more of a stark kind of comparison between the two. It's very, very dark, that album. Um, And I I actually think it's really underrated, that album.
1: Uh, Well, this song reminded me of a band we both like called Mew. Yes, yeah, yeah. It really... I feel like I could have placed it on one of the last two albums, either Plus Minus or... God, what was the last one called? Last one? Last Mew album. Uh, uh, Visuals. Visuals, right. Stupid name. Yeah, um, oh, I and mean, if I any think. of me were listening, then sorry, yeah, sorry, sorry, Jonas. I'll uh, no doubt meet you in Manchester again. It was it was very nice to meet them. I've <laughs> <Absolutely laughs> met them, met them twice now. Okay. Uh, I've, I've got everyone's uh, everyone's autograph, but Silas. I mean, that's the drummer, by the way.
0: Yeah, I was going to say not many people know about this. We will no. do Mew eventually, um, but yeah. it's going to be a long way down the road, I believe.
1: Um, I really, really like this. Is track nine of a twelve track album, and you get a new sound. This hmm. is a, a sound we've not heard so far on the album, as you said. It's a darker tone, and the bass, the bass line is almost—it's very jazz club kind of. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised. If this, this was played on a double bass, actually. Yeah, possibly. Um, a, a very seductive synth in there as well. It's all just very kind of yeah, sultry, really, isn't it? It was. It was just. It was a, a bit of a surprise to get that so late in the album. And I, and this is a song that I think
0: anyone who did one of those sniffy reviews at the time although there were a lot of positive ones obviously but anyone who did that and said oh this is all just really middle of the road kind of mediocre just bland statement kind of things i don't i don't seem talking about this song very much because they wouldn't have been able to that wouldn't fit into that cozy narrative about like oh Travis yeah they just um they just something that's quite safe and happy and you know right happy very easy melody based songs
1: yeah i think in a roundabout way um I kind of agree with you with the exit thing, mm. because the lyrics here, you left me on the shelf, and now there's no one to rely on, but if it's all the same to you, here's what I'm going to do. Oh, you you read this bit, didn't you? Yeah, you've you? sort of done the... This the, is the exact same thing. Well, you just sort of joined up to it, so yeah, both so together. So I did the, the bit little bit you. did bit the start, I did the, the other bit. It's like the undoing of a sound mind. Hmm, yeah. It, it's someone someone close to the edge, and it... it... Like Bono. Rubbish, just just rubbish. <laughs> uh, it it really left me wanting more. Uh, sometimes it's frustrating uh, that a song overstays its welcome or that you know it, it doesn't go as far as it could. Mm. But I completely get why they left it there, and I kind of admire the restraint. Mm. But I actually did want more. But I, I get it. But I I, I wanted more. Mm. And it's uh it's uh, the time. Uh, well, the time for this song is Austin three sixteen. So um, <laughs> there you go brilliant um just before we get into
0: afterglow um i realized that i mentioned something which it will be frustrating if i don't actually um follow through on okay so glastonbury that performance that um that travis gave there now and again you can listen to dougie recounting this story um in other in other places i'll, I'll try and do it justice but travis had released the second album the man who and it actually hadn't done amazingly well really it was sort of slipping down the charts after a respectable but not fantastic performance It did
1: well afterwards after the initial release well this is
0: the thing the thing that made it do what albums don't usually do which is go down and then zoom back and up back the charts up, yeah. was the fact that they did that set at glastonbury and it had been quite a nice day at that particular that particular day.
1: And that then... was a world beating set as well. It was if, if you don't know that would be a great introduction, which is what I what I think festivals are for. Mm. So you can go and experience bands in the natural habitat. Yeah. You know, and, and really get a sense of who they are. So I I completely get that the Glastonbury sets for Travis would create a surge in album sales.
0: Yeah. Well the thing is, they played um Why Does It Always Rain on Me? And as soon as they started playing it, the heavens opened and soaked everyone. And the BBC got hold of this and other news outlets with the sort of tagline Travis, make it rain at Glastonbury. And it was nice, it was a really nice day before that. There was no real hint of this. And they came off stage, according to Dougie, not feeling like it was a particularly great set that they'd done. But they had this, 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 um, I don't know word of mouth kind of appeal of like you know going viral sort of thing of oh Travis like quote unquote make it rain at Glastonbury and after that it got talked about more people obviously it's a very good thing to talk about if you're a radio host I guess like we sort of are a bit um, it's a nice little story oh and here's the single that, that that they played at the actual Glastonbury thing it's what is has always
1: been to a little me. bit of Travis though with flowers in my window yeah exactly so so I love that kind of DJ those DJs don't exist anymore but. I... <laughs> God, I would listen to, to the radio a lot more if they did. Mm, I wouldn't. Anyway. Time is fast approaching half past three. Is it
0: fast approaching time goes <laughs> yeah, Anyway, right, so um so there we go. That's um th- that's how the man who got to be so famous, and that's and that album obviously had an amazingly successful run. Considering Travis had not really spoken about very much in rock circles these days, you know, not like Coldplay or U2 anyway, Um, they had a a massive hit with that album because largely of that performance. And also the promotion of Noel Gallagher, who who really liked the band. Yeah? Yeah, cool. Alright, so let's carry on to Afterglow. I've not got very much written about this song. Well, it is four
1: minutes and six seconds.
0: Mm. Um, Apart from the fact that it's just such a beautiful song, really, it's really well produced. The guitar lines... I remember at the at the start um, when when I first listened to this album, um, I say at the start when I was younger, I, I used to really enjoy playing the guitar to this because it has very very simple lines, simple enough for me to play, but they're really effective. And again, it's that that economy of notes that um, I think Dunlop might be consciously taking from The Edge, perhaps, um, or just that general that general sort of sound. So it begins in this very very beautiful way, and it finishes in a very sort of um, majestic but sort of weird and eerie and ethereal sort of
1: um vibe at the end the beginning again it reminded me of viva la vida no in particular song but magpie martin is it's it's happening yeah it is hashtag magpie martin hashtag criminal chris (laughs) um i've not i've not got much to say about it no i like the i like the guitar part at at the very beginning even though it reminded me of viva la vida but i like viva la vida so it's not it's not a bad thing and um it's, it's weird because i i've come to these albums the wrong way around i suppose mm. um it's not my favorite track on the album but i definitely don't think it's out of place and i think True. i could get i could i could get into it more yeah um but i i've basically had a week
0: yeah i mean i mean it's also quite nice to have a song that is pretty much unabashedly happy on this album particularly after last train it's uh, sequencing apart from the misstep
1: or rather odd choice of Dear Diary. Where would you put a Dear Diary then? Because we're coming to the end now. And and I honestly I honestly think, it, where, no matter where that, that track was, it would have me turning off or, or skipping. I think it would be, if it was a B-side, it
0: would be a really, you know, it would be a B-side that people would come back to again and again, yeah. because it's interesting and quirky. The fact that I've thought about the track listing of that song for this many years, kind of suggests to me that it does belong to go where it is you know Mm. but it's interesting and that's it's a talking point um but unlike last train which is very very downbeat this one i mean opening opening lyrics are feeling myself all the time all the time feeling not feeling all right uh taking a while raising a smile raising a smile makes it all worthwhile so it's you know it's very unabashedly positive really um and that fits i just i always love the outro of this song um where again godrich is coming into his own and making the song just seem really huge it's almost like the band do fade away and it's just the voices that are remaining it's beautiful
1: yeah I feel like I felt like at this point that I was really with the album till till the end there was there was I, f- I feel like they'd got me they'd completely hooked me and you know hook mm. line and sink I com- just enjoy it and I've listened to this so much mm. now and and still I, I'm looking forward to it and I want to go, oh, I want to listen to that track again I want to listen to that track again and It seems to be a different track each time I listen to it that I yeah. want to go back and listen to um, so after- afterglow, I, re- I really liked. Again, I didn't think it was the best song, but I really didn't mind listening to it.
0: I think it's got a very satisfied kind of air to it. This song, it is just basking basically in that in that feeling of afterglow, which is which is yeah, it's positive. Unfortunately,
1: then we come to indefinitely, yeah. which good news though it doesn't last indefinitely. It's only three minutes fifty three seconds long.
0: Mm, well, that's too long for me. Um, this is very very just it languishes this song way too much and I feel that the melodies are way too predictable really I think this is one of the only songs where you can feel all of the different changes and chords coming around the corner far too easily and weirdly I've put here it's got a um, a Paul McCartney vibe to it which which usually would be a good thing but is not in this song in my, in my humble opinion
1: uh, you leave Angela alone. Um, so I thought this built rather slowly. We've had like quite fast-building songs on this album so far. Mm. And um, so Snails within with indefinitely, it all builds to the line, and now I can see the light circling around your reflection. But then that's kind of it. Mm. Then it dies down after that. And I, So I've been trying to think about what does that line mean? Uh, and again it's now I can see the light circling around your reflection I mm. don't get it I don't get the imagery it,
0: I, to be fair that's a very, very that's a good line isn't it it's a good line but what the blankety blank does it mean um, I don't know um, a friend of ours really um, directed me to that point in the, in the song and saying that that's where some really interesting stuff occurs sonically and i had to i went back to listen to it and that's one of those moments where you're like oh yeah that is kind of weird all that 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 stuff that goes on there um and i think it happens on that line because that line is very suggestive really Mm. so just read it one more time we'll try and figure it out
1: now i can see the light circling around your reflection
0: I mean, it seems almost sort of angelic as a as a kind
1: of image. Yeah, it? but it's the reflection. Like to see, I I mm. was thinking like that, like because when you can see the Renaissance paintings and they've all all got the halo behind them. Yes, yeah. Um, but it's the reflection, isn't and it? And I was also thinking a guy waking up in hospital and there's a doctor looking over, and, you know, they've always got that light, you know, shining on, or or a dentist. Yeah. Um, but I I I really don't know what it means. I can't figure it out. Maybe it's maybe it's. Um, and it's the reflection bit that throws me because I feel like I, I okay I've got the imagery there, but it, throwing in the reflection thing.
0: Well, I mean, the idea of a reflection is maybe something that's I don't because know. he's
1: got to be looking at someone who's looking in the mirror. Yeah,
0: <laughs> and whether and there is a light source of some sort. <laughs> <Yeah>, it's just <laughs> physics lesson.
1: Unless it's a, I don't know, maybe you know, like when the when. Your partner's getting ready, and they're looking in the mirror. Mm. And to you, they're so beautiful. It's like they have this glow. Yeah, and you want to stay there indefinitely. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't really
0: get it. But unless it's a biographical song about a guy called Lee who's just not very
1: sure. Indefinitely. If you know, or if you, or if you, well, don't. Yeah, if if you know what it means, just just let us know because that's going to annoy me. Till the end of time, I think, and
0: Well I think I think it's meant to, I don't we think, have to write Fran a letter. I don't think there is a conscious, you know well maybe there is a conscious meaning behind it, but I think it is just meant to be suggestive and it I mean and we've talked about it enough. So um should we move on to Mr. Dumpty?
1: Yeah, the Humpty Dumpty song. Final track at five minutes, two seconds. Humpty Dumpty Love Song. Humpty Dumpty love song, yeah. That bloody alarm gets me every single time. It got me this time as well. Yeah. It's like, like, What's you- going on? Just but, but, always looking around like have, have i set an alarm on something and
0: there's and you can it's a very um again it's one of those behind the behind the kind of curtain
1: moment where you can hear sort of fran's voice and well, it's yeah. more like his breath actually oh it's really it's very close to the microphone yeah. and it's quite Great. kind of intimate it is like he's singing directly at you
0: mm. so it starts with like a radio 4 sort of show or something it's been very
1: well recorded um the way it's just that's got to be the worst title for a song ever.
0: Well, it becomes rather appropriate later on, doesn't it? Because well, yeah, it makes about sense. Because but... I think this is another song where if you'd recently broken up with someone and you just feel like you're, you know, shattered, literally. If you feel that way, this song would get you, you know, because you're talking about this person who is the glue, the thing that holds you together. The thing that is the only thing that's going to make you complete after this, but you're just, you've fallen and shattered, that's it. I think this would really, it would really get you, to be honest.
1: Yeah, I think I like it no more than I did earlier this week. I think mm. it, this song is a bit of a grower. Yes. Um, it's one of my favourites on this album. I w- went, because of indefinitely, I went onto a website, uh, I think it's songmeaning.something. Yeah. Um, and I liked to look at a few of the reviews. Because I, I thought there'd be a genuine discussion about what the song means. Mm-hmm. Turns out people are just commenting saying, "I like the song, great song, love that <laughs> lyric," and there's no discussion of of um, meanings whatsoever. However, by reading some of those comments mm-hmm. with the Humpty Dumpty love song, I came across this review by a, a, a female who's called herself Perfect Fool. How do you know it's a female? Does that become
0: apparent in the comment?
1: Yes, it does, yeah. Right, okay. Um, uh, so this this was left in 2005, uh, so I, re- I kind of really want to track this girl down. You might be a listener. So here, here we go. That it. This song really means a lot to me. I listened to it when my best friend and I fell out. It was a big hoorah about her stealing the, this guy off me, and I was really hurt by them both. I sort of found myself shoved out and alone. I was so used to having them both there for me and loving them so much and suddenly it was all gone. This especially relates to my friend because Travis was our thing. We went through a phase of being totally enthralled by them and quite rightly so, rock on. So I sat many times on bus journeys listening to this song and crying because the lyrics really related to how I was feeling. The song still gets me now as my best friend and I still don't talk, nor do I and the guy that was stolen bad bad situation.
0: <laughs> so I'm not I'm not I'm laughing at your performance. I felt like she was in the room. Um, not the co- the comment. It's very sad that that happened. Um but yeah, well that's what I've been saying. How it. old do you
1: think that 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 girl was?
0: It sounds like the sort of thing as I said before like it sounds like a like, teenager. It is a teenager isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And
1: it made me think like the, the stuff you put online pre-Facebook on on a site like this. Hmm. It's still there, fourteen years later, and she won't know that. But well, it's yeah. that. It's that. She won't kind of, have thought about it. It's that kind of like emotional bile. that real. <laughs> it's really funny, funny to go back to, but it's like the, in the innocent days of the internet, where you mm. just don't realise that that's literally that's going to be there forever. Ever, yes.
0: Um, but I mean, it's 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 heartfelt, isn't it? I mean, and. I think we've all got those sorts of songs where we tie to those particular memories.
1: So I think, uh, well done. Hopefully there. it was cathartic for her. I think so, yeah. Uh, so there we go. That was the album, uh, in The Invisible Band, by Travis. Um, do you have some critical performance information for us? Hmm? How, how did the album fare?
0: Well, I've kind of been referencing it throughout... Um... About it, it got a fair share of it got very positive reviews overall. If it was, if it's, you know, the first thing that I would say is positive, very positive reviews, and it, it sold very, very well. Um, so, Maddie Costa from The Guardian um, said that Travis said that they're a fantastic band for ordinary people. So, I think Travis, as we said before, they're into this thing of they like being a band for just regular people, really. Um, and she said, I don't get that listening to Travis. I hear a strong album by a classic rock band who will grow up to be the next U2. And it does nothing for me. So I guess she's making it clear that it's a personal decision. It's it's about her. Yeah. But some critics basically thought this album is too bland. It's not. Its sentiments are not clear enough. It's not edgy
1: enough. Not in that way. Um, and have has got to be some kind of cynic to not let this album move you in some way. Well, to yeah. not admit that it. This is just a fun album. Yeah, yeah. Like, you don't. You know. Not every album has to change your life. But no. th- this is a fun album with good pop rock songs on it. Yeah. and, uh, and if you've, you've I mean, if you walk into a karaoke bar now, in 2019, and sing Side, or Set Flowers in the Window, or Sing, mm-hmm. you're going to bring the bloody house down. <laughs> Not with Flowers in the Window, you won't, but um, people but, and, would enjoy it, though, it, yeah. It's just... And I think it genuinely is a song of a generation of a certain time. Going back and listening to this album... It, you didn't re- you, obviously. You never realize it at the time, but it just puts you back to where you were at that that mm. point, and it, it brings up happy memories like these these songs. It's a happy, joyful listen. Yeah. And and I I was thinking of like 2002. It was the World Cup. It was summer. I would just left primary school. I felt invincible. It, you know, it was it was incredible. In fact, I think the best summers of my life were when I left primary school and I left high school. <laughs> so those, they just stand in my mind as, yep. as really good times and I was re- just basically finding something to do other than school for six weeks and uh, yeah, Travis was a part of that it's a, it was mm. just a really good time in my
0: life and I think this series, I mean it is called Then You Might Like because we're trying to think of what what things would people genuinely be interested in listening to who, who are as fanatical U2 fans as us but at the end of the day it is personal and this is nostalgic for me on a personal level as well i this was one of the first albums along with parachutes that really got me into to music and i remember strolling around wigan with my little absolutely terrible <laughs> um cassette player which i'd taped um pipe dreams and Side onto um side off the radio and
1: it was just it was it was fantastic yeah it's um especially like going into summer i think Redisco- it's a really good time to rediscover this album. Yeah. and it's. I own this album. I, I don't remember <laughs> ever buying it. I may have stolen it from someone. Probably Vinny. Um, I, and I, I don't remember ever buying it. I think I listened to it once or twice. And I'm so glad that we've done this just so... That's a gift to me now. Yeah, because I was, I was a little bit worried about this one. I was thinking, oh, is
0: this... To kind of off the beaten tra- track of acceptable, like you two stuff. Let's do more, Travis. Well, eventually we might do, and um, I'm definitely going to listen do you talking, Travis, to me. No, we can't. I think we'll lose a lot of listeners <laughs> if we exclusively do that. Um, but yeah, no, fan- it was fantastic. And um, they see the-, the other thing that you get from this is they seem like a bunch of great guys as well, um, which I know sounds weird for an album review, but everything I've heard of them just seems fantastic. Um, right, so let's do our hit and our dud then, Tyler. So what was your hit?
1: Um I even highlighted it, it was Follow the Light.
0: Okay, brilliant. Um mine is Pipe Dreams. Uh, and your your dud? My dud is going to be about that
1: unsure bloke called Lee. Indefinitely. Uh, indefinitely is so much better than Dear Diary, which is mine. Well, there we go. So yeah, um, <laughs> really, really, I wish every album we reviewed was that much fun, because uh, it's it's not been a chore for me at all this week, and mm. now I'm excited to go and you know dive into the the back catalogue of Travis and mm. rediscover more songs. Just rich
0: and varied. Um, yeah,
1: because yeah. I'd even forgotten about uh, for, um Why does it always rain on me? Until I, I watched Glastonbury, and they they had that that kind mm. of band. Were especially if you lived through it you you forget just how many hits they had cuz they did have so many for hmm. for quite a long period of time and then okay they fell off the the, the scale at the end and and the pe- they don't really get much publicity anymore but i i'm willing to bet there's some cracking songs on those albums there are yeah and do you know what i'll show you them tyler
0: <laughs> but we're going to have to leave it there then listeners. Um do get in touch contact details are at the end. If you've got a recommendation for an album that you want us to cover on uh then you might like then send it to us we are recording these um well in advance. Yeah, well in advance. Um so it might take a while to get round to stuff, but we always like feedback, we always like ideas and We
1: always like listening to new music even if we don't review it.
0: Yeah, that's true as well.
1: So any suggestions, yeah. Have you are there any songs that you've been listening to lately that you really quite like?
0: I've had that in excess song stuck in my head and now it's going to be stuck in my head for another week. Tear us apart. No, 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 not that one. Um one of, one of my kind that one. All oh, right. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Just the intro riff to that baun 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 penonelonelonelao. Yeah, that's yeah. just been going round and round in my head. <laughs> but not the song, just that just just, just that. that. Just yeah. over and no over. It's like a Asylum in here like but an In Excess one. I like the song but I can't get that riff out of my head. What are we doing next week? Uh, I don't know. It's your choice next week so what, what do you want to do?
1: Um, I, uh, I'll i give you two choices then. Uh, we either do <gasps> exciting, In Excess, it? since it's spinning in your head right. or Manic Street Preachers Which Manic's album? You pick hmm. I'd like to do the one with Latristessa on it Well
0: that could be done let's leave this a mystery till next week and then the fans will have to tune
1: in and it might not even be either of those I'd like to give a shout out to Dead Man Fall also from Scotland uh, they've got a, a few cool songs out at the minute I don't I don't think they've got an album so far but I played you a track last week called Calexico mm-hmm. I liked it a lot um, and, and a groovy yeah and Bang Your Drum which is a song that I've got on heavy rotation at the minute so uh, uh, just recommend those songs to anybody that likes the same kind of music we do
0: Brilliant, good. Well, that's it, folks. We'll see you... I was going to say same time next week, but I I don't know when we're going to release
1: these. Yeah, we'll see you at some point. Yeah, bye. Bye. Hi there. Thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to get in touch, please contact us on Facebook.com forward slash review2 to you, or on SoundCloud.com forward slash review2, or search for the Review2 podcast on iTunes. You can also email us at review 2 at gmail.com. Please like, comment, and subscribe. Thank you.
0: The Invisible Band by Travis. I sound a bit too partridgey. <laughs>